Holy Cross. Now, for those of you who are visiting today, um, my name is Kent Woodrow. I'm the Next Generation Pastor here, and uh, it's just really good to have you here. I hope, I hope you find Jesus here, whether you're looking for him or not. I hope you find Jesus here. That's what we want more than anything for you. Hey, uh, would you go ahead, if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Habakkuk. I'm giving you a heads up now because it's hard to find. So if you need to, look in the table of contents. Otherwise, the text is printed for you in the bulletin or it will be up here behind me in a little bit. Um, so let me give you a big picture of where we've been. This is the second to last sermon we're gonna do in Habakkuk. Uh, so we've kind of, we've walked our way through a big journey. Habakkuk is a prophet and he's cried out to the Lord saying, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care about all the wrong that's happening among your people here in your church? And the Lord responds, I do care. And I'm doing something about it, Habakkuk. I'm sending an invading army. And if your response is like, what? That was Habakkuk's response. He says, well, how's that an answer? To have your rebellious people overcome by an even more rebellious people? Like rebellion plus rebellion equals rebellion. Like it's just worse, right? And in Habakkuk's confusion, he says, or the Lord speaks to his prophet, and he says, Habakkuk, Trust me, trust me. When things don't make sense, trust me. I am king, my kingdom plan hasn't changed. The Babylonians will get their due in due time, but the earth will be filled with the knowledge of my glory as the waters cover the sea. Trust me, Habakkuk. And so today we get to our sermon text, which is Habakkuk chapter three. And this is Habakkuk's response to the Lord. And he says, okay, Lord, I will wait. I will wait. You've told me to trust you. I will wait. Hmm. That's hard. You know what that's like? You know what it's like to be in a confusing situation and to wait, to have to wait don't we want answers? We want them right now. We're a hasty people. And so when the Lord tells us, hey, trust me, I've got this all in hand. Just wait. How do you do that? How do you do that? Well, that's what our text here today is gonna show us. So would you stand? Together we're gonna read Habakkuk chapter three. I'm going to read from verses 1 through 16. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon, the Holy One came from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens. The earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like light. Rays flashed from out of his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood, he measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. The eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains in the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea that you rode when you rode 
on your horses, on your chariot of salvation. You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows, they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people. For the salvation of your anointed, you crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from neck to thigh. You pierced him with his own arrows, the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, I will quietly wait the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Friends, it's the true word, the living God. He gives it to you because he loves you. Would you pray with me? Oh, Jesus, uh, we need you. I need you, Lord. We're here, some of us hungry for your word, some of us because... This is just what we do on Sundays. Some of us are hurting. Some of us are angry. Some of us are worshiping. Wherever we're at, we need you. We hunger to hear from you. And so Father, I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would use your words to to meet us, to show us you, to feed our souls, to change us. We need you, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you move for the good of your people and the glory of your good name, we pray. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. All right, so how, that's the question, right? How do you wait? How do you wait when God tells you to wait? Because he's going to. If he hasn't yet, he will. How do you wait? Well, we're going to look at Habakkuk to figure out what it means to wait on the Lord. And we've got three things. Wow looking at how Habakkuk waits. He prays, he praises, and he is patient, all right? Yeah, the the parallelism isn't perfect, but you could also do it this way. He he waits prayerfully, praisefully, and patiently. Either way, it doesn't work, but you got two different ways to keep that latched in your mind. All right, so he prays. Let's look at that in verse verse, uh, chapter one, the prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. All right, so what's his posture? Hey, can I, can I just say, first thing about prayer, Habakkuk is before the Lord, right? Here he is in his confusion, in his doubt, in his wondering, where do you find Habakkuk? You find him where he's been throughout this whole book, in God's presence. Why is that notable? How do you respond when God confuses you? How do you tend to respond when things don't make sense to you? Hey, isn't our temptation, like, let's, really, let's be honest, right? Whether whether you're not a Christian or you've been a Christian for a while, I think it's good for the non-Christians to hear. Even people have been walking with Jesus for a while. Our temptation is to run from Jesus. We wait long enough. The answer is hard enough. Our temptation is to run from the Lord. And you're hurt and you're angry when you're feeling confused. 
You stop talking to them? So Habakkuk here, this is why this is important. Habakkuk here, he runs to the Lord rather than running from him. He runs to the Lord. And why does he do this? Well, because he knows the very one who caused him confusion is the only place where you can get answers, right? The apostle Peter, uh, he was one of Jesus's followers. He had one of these experiences back in uh, John 6. Things have been going really great for Jesus. Like he was starting to get a lot of popularity and acclaim and his 12 followers were following him like, this is it. This is, this is good. This is the way things are supposed to be. And then Jesus gives some hard teaching. And the bulk of the people who had been following Jesus were like, mm, this dude's crazy. We're leaving. They peace out. In a moment of beautiful vulnerability, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, are you going to leave me too? In that moment, Peter does, the apostle Peter is great. He sticks his foot in his mouth all the time, but he also says some really beautiful and eloquent things. He says, where would we go? You've got the words of eternal life. Jesus, you confuse me. You don't make sense, but I do know this. When I'm with you, I hear truth. When I'm with you, my soul feels alive. You confuse me, but where else am I gonna go? Where else am I gonna go? Have you had that experience? You know what that's like. In your confusion and your waiting, pray. Run to the Lord. Let him comfort you. Trust him to bring answers in his time. Right, so that's Habakkuk, this part of Habakkuk's posture is he is before the Lord. The other thing is he's reverent. Oh, Lord, I have heard the report of you in your work. Lord, do I fear. What he's saying there is, Lord, I've, I know your story. I'm a good Jew. I've grown up uh, hearing, hearing your word. I know you, and it fills me with reverence. That's what he means by when he says I, I, I feel fear. Hey, this is hard. I was sitting here trying to like work up an illustration for reverence, but because in the United States, we are not a reverent people. We tend to be an irreverent people. We like to celebrate. Like, so reverence is kind of like this, this deferential respect that kind of puts me in my place, right? So trying to come up with some examples of this, I thought maybe it's like inviting Martha Stewart over to your home for dinner. Like, oh, okay. Maybe it's like trying to play basketball with Michael Jordan or something. You, you, you show up and you realize, yeah, I'm not everything I thought I was. This person's better. They're just a lot better. Here's our temptation, right? When you feel confused by something, it's not to be reverent. Right? I want you to imagine, for example, using the Michael Jordan example, uh, you have... You're going to go see the great, the great basketball player. So you go into his home, you take him to whatever waiting room he's got, and you're told, hey, you know, you've been waiting for this in meeting for three months, 15 minutes. Wait here for 15 minutes, he'll be out in a bed. Okay, it's great. 30 minutes, he's not there. An hour, he's not there. 12 hours. At that point, you're like, I don't know who this chump thinks he is. I've been waiting, like your reverence disappears, doesn't it? When you have to wait, 
no matter the kind of respect you have. Your reverence just goes. Here's why. Because what happens in, the, in that confusion when you're, when you're waiting, you're like, I'm not sure what's going on here. We externalize our confusion saying, hey, it's, it's a them issue. It's not a me issue, right? And then we despise. They got a problem. They're just crazy. Have you ever done that with the Lord? Ever had that experience of waiting on him? And then you get angry because he's not answering the way you want him to or as quickly as you want him to. See, Habakkuk, can I just, honestly, like, you're not alone. I've done that. I guarantee, I'm seeing nods in the congregation. You are not alone. We all have had this experience. Habakkuk, though, in his waiting, he waits reverently. You want to know how? We'll get to that in the second point. So just hang on. So that's, that's, the, that's the posture. He comes to the Lord. He, he is uh, in his presence and he is, he's reverent. And then we get to his petition, verse two. Well, Lord, I've heard the report of you. Your work I feared in the midst of the years. Would you revive it? In the midst of the years, make it. No, what's he saying there? Saying, God, would you do it again? Would you do it again? I've heard the stories. I've heard how you are the kind of God who moves into messy situations. Would you do it again? I've heard how you love to save your people, how when, how when it looks like their backs are against the wall and they've got nothing, you step in. Would you do it again? Please move. We've been waiting a long time. Would you move like you used to? Do you know what it's like to pray that kind of prayer? Lord, do it again. Do it again. Say, here's the confusion or, or the temptation when we're feeling confused, right? It's not just to throw out the Lord and his long story of salvation. Like God has a proven track record. We've talked about that in the book of Habakkuk, right? Um, the temptation is we stop expecting him to do what he does best which is to redeem, to rescue, to save. Let me ask you, have you given up waiting? In your waiting, have you given up hope that God's gonna do what he loves to do? Have you given up hope that the Lord can do today what he's done in the past, right? And here are two reasons I think this happens, right? Um, one is maybe, maybe we've just never actually prayed a big prayer. Maybe you haven't prayed, Lord, would you save me from the current struggle I'm in, my addictions, my, my patterns? Would you bring life transformation for me? Lord, would you save this person I love? Would you, would you be at work in my neighborhood? Lord, this world, would you save us? Maybe you haven't prayed a big prayer like that. Or here's, here's what's more likely. You have prayed a prayer like that, but God has an answer. Not, not the way you wanted and not according to your timetable. That's, that's what's most likely. And so you're discouraged. You know what it's like to feel discouraged in prayer? So in that discouragement, you can just say, hey, I'm done waiting. I'm done waiting on the Lord. Can I, can I encourage you? It's the gospel response. Pray, keep praying. Pray expectantly. 
God wants you to be praying. See, hey, here's what happens if you never pray a big prayer, then there's nothing for God to answer, right? You wanna see something big happen, but if if you don't pray for it, there's nothing for him to answer. Here's the other thing though, if, if you're discouraged and you're like, I've been praying big prayers and the Lord isn't going to answer. If, if you're tempted to give up, let me tell you, God always answers every single prayer. It's a yes or a no. He always answers every single prayer. But if you give up praying, then you won't know how he's answered. And here's, this has been an experiment I've, I've done over the last several months since Rick left. I have been writing down my prayers and I think our gut response is, Yeah, you know, like one in 10 prayers get answered, right? No, you remember one in 10 prayers being answered. God answers far more than that. I tell you, when I look back over my prayer journal and I'm like, oh, I I forgot I prayed about that. It It is good to my heart to see how the Lord loves to hear his people, how he moves in, how he provides an answer. Y'all, and he's not doing this because I'm the next gen pastor. He's doing that for you. Do you have a record? Do you remember how the things that you have prayed so that you can have a record of how he has answered? Hey, I don't know why, frankly. It, it makes no sense. But one of the great mysteries of why the Lord acts the way he does is just that he chooses to fold our prayers, your prayers, my prayers, into his sovereign plan, his absolute total control. He chooses to use you and your prayers to shape that. I don't know why, but that's how he chooses to do things. He wants you to pray. He wants to use your prayers, the time that you spend on your knees to move his kingdom forward. Are you praying? Are you praying? Holy Cross, I've had this burden, I think, for about eight months now. I want us to be a praying people. We got a ton to be praying about right now. Are you praying? Are you praying? In uh, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah was a prophet who ministered about 100 years before Habakkuk. Isaiah chapter 62, he says this, on your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. Give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. What he's saying there is, watchmen are standing on the walls. They're the ones who are supposed to, like, uh, to, to let the people in the city know what's happening. And they're crying out and they're praying. And the Lord says, don't stop. Keep praying. Give me no rest. I, don't, I want you to keep bugging me. Bring it on. You guys think you're nagging Jesus? No, you're not. You're not asking enough. Keep, keep, keep talking, keep nagging him. Be like the watchman, be like Habakkuk. They're perched in his tower waiting for God to answer. Give the Lord no rest. Beg him, do it again. Beg him to redeem, to rescue, to save. God loves to do it. Maybe we just don't love to ask. So let's beg, let's pray. So that's Habakkuk, that's his posture. That's his petition, do it again, Lord, do it again. And in the midst of like, like y'all, it is hard to pray. It's hard to pray in the waiting. So how does Habakkuk get to his heart to that place where he can keep pursuing the Lord and not grow discouraged? Well, if you notice, this, this prayer is also a hymn of praise. 
So he's not only praying to the Lord, he's, he's praising the Lord specifically for two things, uh, the Lord's might and his mercy, okay? So the Lord's might is what's most obvious when you read verses three through uh, the end of the chapter. This passage describes God the warrior in kind of like frightening detail, right? Um, and some people think, uh, starting in verse three, like Habakkuk has prayed, Lord, in your wrath, remember mercy. And then God gives him a vision of, of what it was like when God came and rescued his people out of Egypt. Because I meant to have you, I meant to give you a heads up before we read this passage. But what Habakkuk's doing here is this, is, this is a stylized retelling of the Exodus. It's God delivering his people out of Egypt, charging the way through the oceans and the seas, making up space for his people in Canaan. That's, that, that's the plan. And, and some commentators think Habakkuk saw that. God gave him a flashback. That's possible. It's possible. God does do those sorts of things with his prophets, gives them these kinds of visions. But I think it's probably more likely what Habakkuk's doing is he's reflecting. He thinks back to that pivotal moment in Israel's history. This was their cross moment. This was their salvation story. God moved. And this is how Israel knew. And Habakkuk takes that moment and he sits down and he thinks about it and he reflects on it poetically. And he writes this very uh, beautiful hymn of God the warrior. God the mighty one. Uh, Just because we need to, let's take a step aside. How does this poem strike you? I think for a lot, of, a lot of Americans today, we hear the kind of imagery that Habakkuk uses, which he's very comfortable using. And we're like, it's not okay. It's not PC. We need to clean that up. And here's the reason for that. Like, we, we like a much more sanitized, uh, safe. We like a safe God. We like a God that doesn't scare us, right? A God who's kind of like the doting granddad who, who's got billions of dollars, so he'll let you get away with murder, and he'll give you whatever you want, and uh, he'll get you out of all your jams. But he's got to be safe. The God of the Bible is not safe. The God of the Bible is mighty and terrifying in his might. And you need him. You need the God of the Bible. Why? Hey, can I tell you, when you're facing huge issues in your life, you don't need a doting granddad. You need a warrior. You need someone who is resolutely, fiercely committed to you and your well-being, right? You need someone who says, nothing is going to stand between me and making this happen. You need a God of might. You need a powerful, mighty God, especially when you're like Habakkuk and you're waiting for justice. You're crying out because you see the, 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 the terror and the, and the destruction that is coming from the Babylonians. These guys are walking through Habakkuk's land or will be walking through his land, burning cities, pillaging, stealing stuff, murdering people, raping people. And Habakkuk's like, I need a mighty God. I need a mighty God. Do you need a mighty God? Do you recognize your need for a mighty savior? If you've ever been terribly wronged, then you know you do. You know you need someone who's gonna be that dogged warrior. A warrior 
A, a mighty God with lightning for arrows, one who with just one look scatters armies. That's a back describes here. Before whom the very oceans and mountains scramble to get away. You need a God who says, hey, I know the waiting is long. I know you're confused. I know you're hurting. But I promise you, I will make this right. Ain't nothing going to stop me. You need that kind of God. So Habakkuk praises the God of might. That's how he steadies his heart. And frankly, like, as uncomfortable as this passage may make us with, with like the violent imagery and stuff, I think we're probably more comfortable with the God of might who comes in and like rescues us and saves and so forth, or like who comes and, and meets out justice. But I think we're probably less comfortable if we really think about it with God's mercy. God's mercy. Because here's what happens when, when you focus on the God of might and the God, like, the God portrayed here in verses three through 16. It can be like, yeah, do that, Lord. And then pretty soon after that, you're like, well, crap. I'm an offender. I've wronged. And nine times out of 10, y'all, don't, don't you feel like when God isn't answering you and you're waiting, it's not because he doesn't care about justice and not because he's not a mighty God. Isn't it more because why, does, why should he care about you? Why should he care about me? I'm a mess. I've messed things up royally. Why, why would that kind of God care about me and my problems? They're big problems. Why would he care about me? You want some good news? Here's the Lord of mercy. Habakkuk prays, in wrath, Lord, remember mercy. The sweet thing about that word mercy is very often the, the standard definition of mercy is it's not getting what you deserve, right? It's punishment that you've earned and mercy's like, okay, we're not gonna, we're gonna sweep that under the carpet, okay? Um, but this word in Hebrew can very often be translated either mercy or compassion. Compassion. God feels, that's what compassion means. He sees misery and he moves towards it. He commiserates. Hey, um, what do you think God's gut reaction is when he sees things not going the way they're supposed to? It's a good question. All right, well, let me think, like, think about this. If you were to write a description of who God is, what would that look like? I'd be very interested. All right, write me a paragraph. Who is God? How would you describe him? What are his characters, attributes, traits? Maybe some of you would be like the old hymn writer. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, enlightened, accessible, hid from man's eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, worthy of praise. Or maybe it would be like, he's angry at me. He sees my faults and failures, just watching all the time, and I just can't measure up. Maybe that would be you. You know that God writes his own self-description? One of the most beautiful passages in scripture, and y'all, most of the theologizing in the Old Testament is then done off of what God 
the self-description. God says, hey, this is who I am, people. And you can find, I I would write this down. Uh, You can find this, meditate on this, in Exodus 34, chapter 6. And he says this, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. How's that sound? How's that sound? How does that match up to what you would have used as God's description, right? And here's the beautiful thing, right? He says this. He gives this description of himself in the context of his people turning their backs on him and, and betraying him to worship a golden statue of a cow. It's as ridiculous as it sounds. And in that context, God's like, hey, I'm a God who's merciful and gracious. Did you catch that? What's, that, what's the leading quality in God's self-description? Merciful. Merciful. Y'all, the Lord sees things as we have wrecked them. He sees the mess that we have made of everything. And you're, I would guarantee your assumption and my assumption is God sees that his gut reaction is anger. Quash it, destroy it, right? Realize his gut reaction is mercy. It's compassion. It's saying, I will make this right. This is a mess and y'all are miserable living in that mess. I'm gonna hop into that mess and make that mess right. That's why he sent Jesus. If God's gut reaction isn't compassion, then we have no savior. Because everything would have been done. The story would have finished the moment Adam and Eve rebelled in the garden, but God's gut reaction is mercy. You believe that? Is that your God? See, look on you mercy, feel compassion for you, knows where you're at. God cares both about the problems of this world, he will fix them. He cares about his people, he delights to save them. And that's what Habakkuk reflects on. This God of might goes out for the salvation of his people in verse 13. All right, so Habakkuk, as, as he's waiting on God, he prays. He praises, he, he shapes his, his waiting and his expectations on the character of God, his might and his mercy. And then we're gonna wrap up real quickly here. Um, Habakkuk waits patiently. Hey, when we first meet Habakkuk in, uh, in verse one, chapter one, he's a pretty angsty guy, isn't he? He's like, Lord, you know, things around me, they're a mess. And, and you just read through this whole book and he, he's, he's discontent, he's angsty, he wants things to change. Sounds a lot like me, probably a lot like y'all, right? Um, And by the time you get to this passage, there's a settledness, isn't there? There's kind of a, there's a, there's a quiet peace. In fact, that's what he says. I hear my body trembles, but I will wait quietly the day of trouble. What happened to Habakkuk? Well, he got perspective, Right? He spent time reflecting on the Lord, on his might, on his mercy. So everything kind of like, he got some perspective. The only thing I really want to say about this is it doesn't always feel good to get perspective. Right? I mean, look at Habakkuk. 
Very, verse chapter 16. You expect when God comes, he gives you all the answers you want and all that sort of stuff, which actually doesn't happen to Habakkuk. But anyway, um, when, if you get all the answers you want from God, you're going to be on a bed of roses. If God would just make things plain to you, then you'd feel great, right? Well, look at Habakkuk. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. The rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. This could be because he's envisioning the oncoming or the incoming Babylonians and the slaughter and everything that's going to happen there. Or it could be because he's just like spent some time thinking about how big God is, right? But regardless, and you got to love how gritty and honest the Bible is. Sometimes your period of waiting on the Lord may leave you feel, feeling worse in the moment because you're confronted with just how small, how small you are, how small your perceived problems are when matched against God's greatness and the cosmic scale he's working on. And you may not like that. It's okay. Just be honest about it. It's okay. Habakkuk's legs trembled. But regardless, perspective, even though it may not leave you feeling better, will always give you humility, always. Well, maybe not always, right? Because there are two ways that we can respond to a period of waiting. We'll say this and then we'll wrap up. Two ways that you can typically respond to being confused and being in a period of waiting. One, and maybe this is the easiest, you, you can become impatient and grow hard proud. You can say, because I can't make heads or tails of this situation and answers aren't coming on my timetable, I'm done. I'm done waiting. I don't get what God's doing. I don't think he knows what he's doing. So I'm going to handle this myself. I want to take care of this myself. And then you can walk away. Now here's the deal. Uh, Walking away doesn't necessarily mean like you leave the doors of the church and then you're like, I'm, I'm not coming back. I've resigned my membership, all that sort of stuff. Uh, walking away, you could, you could be a lifelong member of the church and be walking away from God. Here's how that looks, right? You just, you're, you're trusting Jesus to get you out of hell and into heaven, but the whole time, you don't actually really trust the Lord. You're suspicious of him. You're always waiting for him to drop the other shoe. You get angry because he doesn't let things go your way. So you doubt his goodness. You doubt his love. You're mistrustful of his commands when they would seem to interfere with what you think is best for you. You just don't trust him, right? Hey, um, this is me, if I'm honest. The reason, I, the reason I can say these things is I've been there. I am often there. And can I just tell you, um, if, that, if that's where you're at, that's just, just a scary place to be. It's not where the Lord wants you. It's scary because waiting hasn't given you perspective. Instead, it's just made you hard and bitter and proud. Instead of, instead of waiting, bringing you humility, which is what it's supposed to, it kind of made you arrogant, made you feel like you don't need the Lord. So you're proud. The other way, and this is a lot harder, but this is why God has us wait. 
The other way you can respond to feeling confused as you wait on the Lord is the way Habakkuk does in this quiet, patient humility. Verse 16. See, it takes a lot of humility to wait on the Lord, right? To keep trusting him when you feel confused by him because the humble person, as you're waiting, the humble person just keeps that perspective and recognizes, look, I don't know what's going on here. I don't have the answers, but I'm also just me. How am I, how, how is Kent supposed to understand all this? How's Kent supposed to assume he can make heads or tails out of the divine, God's divine plan? The humble person recognizes, I'm just me, but I do know this. I know God. I know his character. I know who he is. I know that my mighty God is in control. He's proven himself over and over again. He's the merciful savior of his people. So I'm gonna be patient. I'm gonna keep waiting on him because I trust that he has this even though I'm confused right now. Humble, humility. More often than not, if God has you in a season of waiting, that's what he's trying to teach you. He's trying to teach us we're not God. He is. I've said this before, but I'll, I'll say it again. In traditional cultures, the more important a person is, the, more, the longer you wait for them. In Africa, where I grew up, like, gonna go meet the, the governor, you wait 15 minutes. Maybe 20, I don't know. Uh, uh, you, you're gonna go meet anybody higher than the governor, eventually you meet the president, you'd be waiting for days, you know? The more important a person is, the more you wait. Why? Because in the waiting, you're recognizing, I, I got no claim on this person. It is, it is entirely of their own gracious goodwill. They're moving toward me. They are the great ones. And humility is supposed to, or waiting is supposed to teach us that. All right, so that's it. That's the answer. Go do that. Go wait. It's hard, right? If that, if that were we to end things, um, let's just be honest. Most of us human beings don't like to wait and across the board, we don't do it well when we have to, right? Who here is actually waiting prayerfully, praisefully, and patiently? Do you think that surprises the Lord? He understands. He gets it. God knows what it's like to be human. Jesus waited 30 years before doing the very thing God had called him to, which was the salvation of the world. Before he started all the teaching, healing, pre preaching, redeeming that he came to earth to do. Jesus knows what it means to wait and to agonize in prayer. He spent more time praying than anybody else. He knows what it is to lean on the Father's might and on his mercy to wait humbly and patiently for God's vindication and, and for waiting, waiting for God to work out his plans when it looks like that plan is, you know, a train wreck. Jesus knows what it is to wait. He knows what it means to wait to the point of death and come out the other end. He waited perfectly the way human beings are made to wait and the way he knew that we would all fail to, right? Here's the thing. That perfect, patient high priest is also the one who stands with you, who waits with you. He stands beside you in your waiting period that he has called you to. He prays over you. He guarantees the Father's might and mercy to be at work for you. And he's so 
tenderly patient when we keep screwing it up again and again and again. As we, he's teaching us how to wait his way. So here's the question. Will you wait with him? Will you trust him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, none of us do this well. That's just why we need you. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you for the seasons of waiting that you do have us in. They're painful. They're hard. We don't like them. We want them to be over, but they'll be over in your good time because there's so much that you're teaching us like you taught Habakkuk in the waiting. So Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray that you'd give them strength in the waiting. They can't do this on their own. Father, would you send your spirit to empower them? And Father, teach them lessons in the middle of their waiting. Let them see you like Habakkuk did and come into a deeper, sweeter, more real relationship with you because of where you have them waiting right now. Lord, you are good. And it's in the good and powerful and worthy name of our Jesus that we ask these good things for his glory and our good.